0: Well, good morning, chapel family. I hope that you're doing well this morning. What a wonderful heritage we have received from our forefathers spiritually who have passed down to us the truth of the Word of God, an example of godly living. It has been passed down through the millennia uh, from faithful men and women uh, all the way down to you and me. As we come to the Word of God this morning, let's, hope, let's begin with a little time of prayer. Father, we, we thank You for Your marvelous Word. As we are in the midst of this study on the psalm that is all about Your Word, uh, we realize what a treasure it is. Even in these moments as we dig into a few of the verses, may You, uh, may you use Your Word to speak to us to teach us and especially to transform us, make us more like Jesus. So I pray that you would uh, guide me as I speak and all of us as we listen. May Jesus be honored in this time we have together. It's for His sake and in His name we pray. Amen. Psalm 119, verses 97 to 104. We read this passage just a little bit ago. I invite you to turn there. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in front of you in the pew. I welcome you and encourage you to open it up and see the text in front of you this morning. As we begin, i got a couple of questions for you. First question this morning, and and I realize this is church and you're not used to actually responding anyway, but let's try it for a change. Okay, we'll raise hands. How many of you would like to be better looking? Some of you are very content with how you are. I get that. That's okay. Uh, But a lot of you would say, yeah, I'm up for that. Next question. How many of you would like to be smarter? Some of you are content with the way you are there, too. That's okay. Some of you are just asleep, I think. Very good. Well, this morning i got some good news and bad news. The bad news is... If you want to be better looking, I don't have a thing for you this morning. Nothing I can do to help you. You need to learn to be content with how you are because probably there's not much else anyone else can do either about that. But if you're here this morning and you want to be smarter, good news because the passage in front of us has some things that will give us help. will help make us smarter people. Some of us grew up hearing something like this from our parents. If you want to be a success in life, you need to have a good education. You need to work hard, study hard, and get a good education. A little bit of bad news over that is most of us who are here this morning can't afford the tuition to go to prestigious schools. If you've looked at tuitions lately, they are through the roof and you probably don't have that much money in your bank account. Also, even if you could get there, especially all of us who are older, there seem to be fewer brain cells than there used to be. And a lot of us would, would get there and we'd try to do the studies and we'd find out that, you know, we just don't have the mental acumen to process all the things being asked of us and we we just wouldn't be able to cut it and to graduate with flying colors. And so, bottom line, a lot of us couldn't go to school if we wanted to, and if we could get there, we couldn't hack it. And so we're in deep trouble because of success depends on a good education, are we doomed to settling for modest schools and being somewhat educated and only nominally successful? And I come to Scripture and interestingly, I discover that God values a good education. Matter of fact, God says a good education is essential for successful living. It's just God has a different idea of what education looks like. Joshua 1.8, God says this to Joshua he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. It says a similar thing over in Psalm 1 where the Scripture says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers or scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night, for he is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. See, God says that if, You're going to succeed in life. You need a good education. The good news is is that God's educational plan is affordable. And God's educational plan is accessible. Any of us can enroll and any of us can do well in His school. God says the secret of success Is knowing God's Word. The person who truly succeeds in life is the person who learns and who lives according to God's Word. And so, as we come here to Psalm 119 and verse 97, our psalmist begins this section of his great psalm with these words Oh, how I love your law! I don't have to go to Harvard, I don't have to go to Yale. I don't have to have a 4.0 grade average in school. I don't have to study astrophysics and, and uh, get a, a, um, a medical doctorate in order to be a success. It says, I love your law because in your word, I get a superior education. Why does the psalmist say that the Word of God gives us a superior education? We're going to see that here in this text. But I I want to note before we even start on the other things, I want to look at verse 102. It's just down a couple of verses. And we read this passage earlier in our worship, so we've already read it, so I won't read the whole thing right now. But look in verse 102. He says, I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. See, the reason that we find here in the Scriptures and we obtain here in Scripture a superior education is because we get an education here from the superior teacher. The ultimate professor is our teacher. We don't learn from somebody who just has a doctorate in whatever We learn from the One who created everything. We learn from the One who knows how the the planets are aligned and and who knows every star by name. We learn from the One who, who created physics. From the One who holds the atom together. What does hold that together anyway? Nobody really knows, but God does. We learn from the One who created us and who knows how many hairs you have on your head right this second. He is the ultimate teacher. The Scriptures here are God's university. And I love the way that the New International, most of us have the ESV in front of us, but the New International Version translation of this verse 102, I think is fascinating. It says, For you yourself have taught me. See, it's not just we're in the classroom and we're watching a video. He's saying that God Himself is our teacher through His Word. It's personal instruction. Here in the Scriptures, we hear God's voice. Four ways our songwriter here tells us this morning how God's, four ways in which God's Word gives us a superior instruction. I want to look at those this morning and hopefully in the process a couple of things are going to happen. We're going to realize how, how important the Word of God is and become more motivated to dig into it. And we'll also become hopefully more like the, the songwriter who says, wow. This is awesome how I love Your Word. So four ways that God's Word gives us superior instruction. First of all, look in verse 98. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. God's Word, and remember that he uses here all through this, as He does all through the song, He uses several synonyms for God's Word. So when He says your commandment, when He says your law, when He says your precepts, when He says your ordinances, when He says all of these things, it's all talking about the same thing. It's all talking about the Word of God, the Scriptures. It says says your, your commandments, your words make me wiser than my enemies. If you were here last week, you'll remember that we saw that the psalmist had a lot of enemies. Uh, It says that in verse 157. A lot of enemies, and they are out to destroy him. But he says, good news. God's Word makes makes us wiser than our enemies. The word wisdom here is a word that literally translates as skill. It's skill for how to live, how to live well, how to live how to live in such a way that at the end of the day, at the end of life, when everything is is finally done, we win. We prevail. It doesn't say, as, as His experience bears out and as we noted last week, it doesn't say that at times our enemies will not seem to have the upper hand. It does not say that they will not oppress us, that they will not in some ways defeat us, it seems. But at the end of the day, at the end of the story, when when finally our history and human history is written, it will be shown that we prevailed. That is living wisely, living skillfully, that, that in every way we win at the end and even over our enemies. Some of you this morning... As you read that, you say, that's important to know because I've got enemies. Or you've had enemies in the past. Do you know what it is to have someone who is out to get you? Someone who is out to destroy you. They are determined to hurt you or to take your stuff or to take your position, to take you down, to take you out. Some of you know what it is to have that. Others of you here this morning thinking, I don't have any enemies. Hey, look at me. I'm lovable. We could argue all of that. <laughs> but whether you're here this morning and you think I, I have a known enemy or I don't have any enemies, the reality is, again, from the Word of God, what we discover is every one of us has an enemy who is very real and who is on our case 24-7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. If you take the through the Bible course, you'll be in studying 1 Peter in the first bit of it. First Peter five, actually 5, 8, says this be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You have an enemy out there who is waiting for an opportunity to take you out. Matter of fact, Ephesians six, and we know there he's talking about our adversary is the devil. Ephesians six tells us that even if you are here this morning, you think I have physical enemies. You know, it's Bob at work, it's it's so and so in that other company, it's it's this person, it's that person, and you think I've got enemies. Maybe you live next door to an ISIS terrorist. The Scripture tells us, guess what? Your enemy isn't your enemy. Matter of fact, your enemy is, according to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, your enemy, Paul says, is not your, your neighbor or that person. Our struggle, he says, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against human. Our enemy is against the authorities. It's against the powers of the dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. In other words, whether you have a human enemy or not, it doesn't really matter because ultimately all of us have the same enemy and it is it is Satan himself and, and the spiritual forces of wickedness, the demonic forces that are really our enemy. Even if you have an ISIS neighbor. He's really not your enemy. He is a victim of the enemy. What do you do? In a world where we have not only physical enemies, but ultimately we have an enemy who's supernatural, who's far superior to us, how do we have wisdom that can handle that? Well, it's the same way as our songwriter. Our songwriter says, look at the end of the verse. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. The question is, what is it? It's referring back to your commandment, your word. How does he get this wisdom? He says, your word is ever with me. I keep your word close with me. Let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying... God, I'm able. I I have wisdom to stand and to prevail against my enemies, whether human or supernatural, because I've got a Gideon scroll that I keep in my pocket. Because they didn't have books, they had scrolls. It was a Gideon scroll, you know, the Gideon Bibles, the Gideon New Testaments. What he's not saying is, I got your word here, and I keep it in my pocket, so I'm good. Keep it close to me all the time. We live in a day and time where we have more access to the Word of God than any generation ever. And any people, other people on this planet. In English, we have scores of translations of the Word of God. And they are available to us in print. They are available to us in in digital form on our iPads and our phones. And, and if you're too lazy to read, you can get it in audio so you can just listen to it. We've got more access to the Word of God than any generation ever. And it does us absolutely no good to carry a Gideon New Testament in our pocket or to carry around, pull my phone back out, like I do. 30 translations on my phone does us absolutely no good if we don't read it or know it. See, I I can't help but think to, to Jesus. You remember Matthew chapter 4. He goes into the wilderness and the Scripture tells us that He is tempted there by Satan. He's directly assaulted, not physically, but spiritually by Satan. Satan tempts him and Jesus has to stand against the temptation of Satan. And you remember how he does it? Satan comes at him with temptation and what does Jesus do? He quotes Scripture three times. Satan tempts Jesus. And each time Jesus responds by quoting each time a different verse, not only from the Old Testament, but from the book of Deuteronomy. Not exactly a book that most of you do your daily devotions from. And I realize, you know, if Jesus needed to know the Scripture... So we could quote the Scripture to stand against Satan's attacks. What does it say for you and me? I noticed Jesus, when you read the account there, Jesus didn't say, oh, Satan, ah, give me just a second. I'm sorry, I'm doing a quick Google search here. <laughs> I know the Bible says something about that here. Let me find... He knew it. Who memorizes Deuteronomy anyway? Jesus did. Wow. Our songwriter says, I keep your word close to me. He's not saying I keep it physically close. What he's saying is I read it. And that took effort because he probably didn't have his own copy. He not only didn't have a little Gideon scroll in his pocket, if he wanted to read the Scripture, he had to go to the temple or the synagogue and there to lay it out and to read it and take some notes and go home and think about it and memorize it. And that's the only way he could have it with him. Have it close. Some of us might say, Pastor, are you saying that I need to memorize God's Word? Well, that's what he says in Psalm one nineteen eleven. We noticed that a few weeks ago. Your word I've hidden in my heart. Memorize it, learn it. Pastor, I can't do that. I'm old. Me too. Yeah, we all are. Saying I think we all ought to get a little more serious about it. But pastor, when I try to memorize, when I try to learn stuff, you got to realize it just goes in and it goes out. I forget it like that. Anybody else have that trouble? Yeah. I love what the, you remember D.L. Moody, old evangelist, late 1800s, said this, I love it. He said, the only way to keep a, keep a cracked pot full is keep the water faucet turned on. In other words, yeah, you got a leaky brain. Join the club. So what do you do? You keep pouring it in. And if you pour it in faster and it leaks out, you're good. Just keep pouring it in. My friends, let's keep pouring it in. Second reason that what God gives us here is a superior education, a superior wisdom. Not only is it does it make us wiser than our enemies, but notice the next verse. Verse 99. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. He says, that God's education makes us wiser than our teachers. What He's not doing is denigrating education and teachers. A lot of you make your living as teachers. He's not saying you're wasting your time, or that... it's not some smart aleck kid boasting about how smart he is. It's not saying that it's bad or it's useless to get a high school diploma or to get an MA, a BA, or an MA or PhD. It's not saying that somehow that if we learn our Bible. If we just sit here and study God's word long enough that not only will we learn the Bible, but suddenly we'll know all our math facts, we will also suddenly have insight into understanding all physics, that we will understand and will know all history, and that we, it's, it's not saying that at all. It's not saying that those studies are not profitable. It does not say that Scripture teaches us everything there is to know. So that I start studying my Bible and I know more than my teacher does about geometry. It doesn't say that. It doesn't tell us everything there is to know, but it teaches us everything that we need to know. Everything that we need to know specifically in two things. To be in right relationship with God. And everything we need to know to be in right relationship with one another. And it also teaches us everything that we need to know to live well in terms of what matters eternally. Going back to where we started, to succeed in life in what really matters. See, this word for understanding means to see. A better way to, for us to maybe get it, if you, Translates literally to see, but it it really would mean to have insight. And so what he's saying is that that God's word doesn't teach us everything there is to know, but it helps us to take these things we learn here and to view them and understand them from God's perspective, and in light of God's truth. So he's not he's distinguishing between accumulated knowledge and real understanding. He's not saying that this this person knows more than his teachers in terms of content of information, but he has more, literally, he has more understanding than the teacher. You see, a man can become a master of physics. He can become the world-renowned expert on physics. Is there profit in that? Absolutely. There is value in understanding physics. But if that man does not come into a right relationship with God, when his life is over, what is his fate? His life has been a waste and he is not in relationship with God. And the Scripture says he is lost eternally. He's lost because he has not come to know the God who created physics. But you can never go to school you can never have you might be a person who never has a formal education who never has opportunity for that but you have if you learn the word of god and you take what you learn of the word of god and you live according to it and you come into a relationship with god such a one has real understanding that is deeper than the world renowned expert in physics because he has a relationship with the God who created physics. And so it is that there is hope for every one of us. No matter what our level of intelligence or our level of education, he says, God's Word makes us wiser than folks with truckloads of PhDs. Speaking of God's Word, Paul writes to Timothy, says in chapter 3 and verse 17, he says of Scripture that it is sufficient to make the man of God complete, equipped for every good work, so that what we have here in Scripture is everything we need to do every good thing that's important eternally. So how does our songwriter get this understanding from God's Word? Notice, the last part of that same verse, verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. How does he get this wisdom? It's just not by reading God's Word. It's by meditating on God's Word. We talked about this, and and by the way, it's, it's also in verse 97. It is my meditation all the day. So twice in this, these eight verses, he talks about meditating on God's Word. What is meditating on God's Word? We talked about it a few weeks ago. But when we hear the word meditation, so often what we think of is that Eastern concept that, that uh, Eastern religions do. Meditation is, um, you know, let's cross our legs and stick our little fingers up here. And we, and we, um, hum. And what do you do? The whole thing they say in meditation is you empty your mind. Well, at best, that is worthless. And at worst, it is dangerous. And it is not what the Bible means when it talks about meditation. Meditation, when the Bible speaks of it, is not about emptying the mind, but engaging the mind. It is taking the Word of God and not just reading it and going, well, I did my duty today. I read some verses in Scripture. It's taking the Scripture and saying, oh, now I read it and I I look at it and I try to try to grasp it and put it into my mind so I can think about it and ponder it during the day. Meditating it is taking God's Word and and thinking, now what did it say again? Now what does that mean? And how does that matter? How does that apply to my life? To who I am? To who God is? To what He wants of me? That's meditation. Meditation. And I think that when it comes to meditating on God's Word, as 20th, first century believers, we're, we're lacking in reading God's Word, but we're even worse off in terms of meditating. I think it is, a, for the most part, a lost discipline, a lost art among believers. And I think there's a lot of reasons we could, we could put to it. One of it is we, we just think, hey, you know, I've got the Bible. We kind of take it for granted. We got it everywhere. And because it's, we, it's everywhere, we just kind of, well, you know, I don't really need to think about it or read it or it's just kind of here. It's on my phone. I mean, goodness, I couldn't be more with me. But I see two big issues very quickly that I, that I think are a problem and it's, it's the danger of distraction. It shows up in a couple of big ways, I think. One is busyness. Busyness. There is no time to meditate on God's Word because, quite frankly, our schedule is packed. If today, I, I, as, as I'm out in the foyer and you're going by, we say, hey, let's get together. With a whole lot of us, we'd be sitting there, when can we get together? I don't know. Well, I don't have any time this week, but I can give you ten minutes next Thursday. Or maybe uh, two weeks from Friday we can squeeze in uh, time for coffee uh, between this and that. It, any of your schedules resemble that? And quite frankly, we can't meditate on God's Word because there isn't time. Well, if that's you, one thing you probably need to do is start cutting some things out of your schedule. But the reality is, even as busy as most of us are, we have a lot of time. It's just we fritter that time away looking at silly YouTube videos (laughs) or um, on Facebook or Twitter or I'll really step on toes here, consumed with sports (laughs) or fill in the blank. I have a feeling when we get to heaven and we look back on our life, every one of us will say, I had a lot of time. I just filled it with a lot of trivial stuff. Busyness is an enemy of meditation. There's another big enemy of meditation, meditating on God's Word, and it is noise. You see, meditation takes this thing called thought. And it's hard to think when everything is blaring in our ears. So we always have the TV on in the house and in the car we always have the radio on and and when we're not in the car or the house, we've got the things in our ears. (laughs) From the time we get up till the time we drift off to sleep, for so many there is noise and there's no opportunity to think. And I think that is something that Satan loves because he knows it's dangerous if you think. And I think it's something that a lot of people are afraid of because when it gets silent, I have to think. And when I think, I have to deal with things. And I might even have to listen to God about things that need to change in my life. Let me, where's the music? Let me, <laughs> busyness and noise. One more way that our. That God's education is superior. It gives superior wisdom. He says, verse 100, I have more understanding than the aged, for I keep your precepts. He says, I've got more, I've got more understanding than the elderly. Again, he's not dismissing or diminishing the value and wisdom of elders. There's an awful lot that you and I can learn from our elders. We ought to, therefore, honor them and we ought to appreciate them. And I, especially since I now are an elder, no, the reality is there's a lot of value. We should place a high value on our elders. But this word for understanding is a little different than the word for understanding in the verse before. They're different Hebrew words. This This word here means to distinguish between, to separate. In other words, it's discernment. It is the ability to look at a situation or to look at a decision or to look at, at ideas and to discern between wisdom and folly, what makes sense and what is foolishness. And one of the 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 reasons that elders tend to have, that older people tend to have wisdom, is because they've got that thing called experience. And experience tends to help older people become wiser. It's not always true that older people are wiser. There are young fools who simply grow into old fools. But most folks, as they get older, they get a little wiser. A 20th century singer and poet, some of you may know her name, Portia Nelson, uh, She wrote a little piece called An Autobiography in Five Chapters. If you don't mind, I'm going to take the time to read all of it right now. And I think you'll identify with it, and it's actually not long at all. Chapter 1. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter 2 I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3 I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it. I fall in. It's a habit. But my eyes are open. I know where I am and it is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down a different street. You see, that I think is a fantastic description of learning by experience. We might eventually get to the place of wisdom, but it often comes slowly and at a great cost. We have an idiom in English. Actually, we have lots of idioms in English. They drive my poor daughter-in-law crazy trying to learn them all. But one idiom in English is this. Wise beyond their years. It's there because we recognize that A young person can have the wisdom of an old person, the wisdom that's gained by experience, but gain it by a different way, a different path than the experience, which takes so much time and is so costly. The young person instead can learn by listening to and observing the experiences of others and go, there's a big hole there. I don't want to fall in that hole and never go there. And so, how does our psalmist get this advanced wisdom? The wisdom of the elderly. He says, I get it by keeping your Word. I look at verse. He says, I understand more than the ages, for because I keep your precepts. In other words, what he says is, I have more wisdom than the old people because instead of going and falling down the hole, I listen to God who says, there's a hole there, don't go there. And He goes, I'm going to do what God says. And I go a different way. Huh. Who would ever think? Rather than saying to God, you know, well, your way, that's one way, but you know, God, I think I have a different plan here. I'm going to try it my way. And we keep doing that. We can waste a lifetime falling into the pits of experience or we can listen to God the first time and have the wisdom of the And So the psalmist says, Your Word makes me wiser than the aged. There's a fourth reason why this wisdom is so superior and it's actually the last four verses of this psalm it's simply this, this wisdom that we get from Scripture is not just an intellectual exercise. It's transformational. It changes me. It's not like so much of the learning that we do where, you know, you go to school, you sit in history class. My son's a history teacher. And you learn a bunch of facts and a bunch of dates. You know, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. What do I need to know that for? I don't know. So one day, when somebody asks, "What year did Columbus come to America?" 1492. We know it. Or we take geometry and we learn all of these geometrical equations, or we take you know trigonometry, or we take algebra, and we learn all this stuff. And what do you do with it in real life? Well, some of you you're engineers and stuff you use it. The rest of us we go, oh you well, know, well, pi r square and I like pi and that's all I need to know and and uh or we you know, you study physics and what do you need to learn physics for? There's gravity and things fall and it hurts and you know, we get physics. But this stuff it changes me. Four ways it changes very quickly. He just says first of all he says it changes my direction in life. Verse 101, he says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. He says, I avoid, I hold back my feet from every, he's saying that I avoid, you know, it was the last thing in that little, that last chapter. I take a different street. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I I avoid the path that just might go down the hole. It's a slippery path. God, I learn. I just avoid that path. Foolishness says, as we so often do, we want to go up to the brink. How close can I get before I fall in? Wisdom, we say, I'm going to go this way. Thank you, God. Got it. It changes my direction. Not looking for what I can get away with. I'm looking how close can I go to, to what God wants. Secondly, he says, not only does it change my direction that way, but it changes my direction because uh, I'm committed to following You. Notice in the next one, he says, verse 102, he says, I do not turn aside from Your rules. I'm committed to following what You say. Why? Go back to for You. Remember what we said earlier? You Yourself have taught me. God, I do it because it's personal. See, I'm getting to know You. You Yourself are teaching me, Lord, and I do it because... It's not just because it's right. It's not just because it's better for me. But it's because, Lord, I love You and this pleases You and I want to do it for Your sake as well as mine. Not only does it change my direction, but then, he goes on, it changes my desires. Verse 103 says, How sweet are Your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. God's words are sweet, I love God's Word, He says. I love it because it's sweet. Why is it sweet? Because not only is it Your Word, but it, when I live it, when I put it into practice in my life, it brings good things. And as He says all the way through the book, He says it brings joy. There's joy when I listen to God and when I put it into practice. Brothers and sisters, may I just say this? If you or someone you know is a bitter person, if they're a grumpy person, you're not feeding on and living by God's Word. When somebody is living, when they're feeding on God's Word and they're living it out, they are a person of joy. I am now 60 years old. I have watched. I have never yet met a person who is feeding on God's Word and loves God's Word and lives God's Word who is not a joyful person. Lastly, it changes my desires in this. Look at this verse. Verse 104. Through your precepts I get understanding and therefore I hate every false way. The more that we learn to see life through God's perspective, we see life through His eyes, the more we develop God's God's view of life in our heart and we see God's view of sin. We discover that Sin isn't something to trifle with, to play with. It's not something to snicker at. You see, the more I realize that sin is an ugly thing, that it offends God, and I love God, so I hate sin because it offends God. And I love people, and I see that sin is harmful. It destroys people, and so I hate sin because of what it does to people that I care about as well as what it does to me when I fall. And so I'm no longer tricked by the, the initial allure, the initial attraction and beauty of sin. It doesn't look that way anymore. You see, now I see sin for what it is. It's the cheese on the mousetrap that her enemy sets. I'm not going to be fooled by that again. It is worthless lead that has been painted gold so that it looks attractive, but it's worthless, and I'm not going to be fooled again. It is deceptive, and it's dangerous, and it's disgraceful, and it offends God. And He says, so I find myself hating it. God's Word has changed its desires. And if we start feeding on it and listening to it, going to give us wisdom and it's going to start changing us father we needed this word today because the reality is we live in this world and there's so much of it around us the the philosophies the viewpoints the all of it begins to affect and infect us the way that paul said it in romans 12 he says it begins to squeeze us into its mold so we find ourselves thinking and acting like the rest of the world. Your Word changes all that. And it gives us a different way of looking at it. It helps us to have be wiser than the enemy. It helps us to be wiser than those folks who know so much information but they don't know You. It helps us to be wiser than We would be if we just live by experience. Father, may may we feed on Your Word and may it change us. Lord, change our heart, change our thinking, change our desires. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.